I'm sure everyone, or at least almost everyone, uh, favorite holiday is Christmas. Um, stores have already set up the decoration, uh, and as soon as you uh, walk in, the mood is already set to get shoppers and the mindset of spending money for the upcoming Christmas holiday. TV networks are, are going to soon start televising uh, it's Christmas reruns, Christmas commercials um, to persuade people to spend more money. In fact, Christmas uh, last year, Christmas holiday, uh, the total sales of Christmas holiday added up to $400 billion uh, or more. So this is evident that Christmas is a well-celebrated holiday. During Christmas holiday, people traditionally drink eggnog, hot cocoa. People start uh, setting up Christmas lights and going to their local Walmart uh, to purchase Christmas trees. People have lavish Christmas parties. And at those parties, people purposefully stand underneath mistletoes to kiss each other. Now, most kids believe Christmas is about Santa Claus. And they are on their best behavior to make sure they're not on Santa Claus' naughty list. Uh, this belief in Santa Claus has caused many kids to be confused about what Christmas is really about. Parents will take their kids to their local shopping mall or plaza to sit on a stranger's lap who is dressed in a red suit and has a white gray hair beard. Even I, as a kid, I thought Christmas was about Santa Claus. And, and I also asked myself, if that it is true, how could it be about Jesus? Until later on in my life, I discovered that Santa Claus wasn't real. Have you ever wondered why people automatically follow certain traditions of, um, concerning Christmas? Why do people purchase Christmas trees to place them inside their homes alone with Christmas lights? Why do people stand underneath mistletoes to kiss each other? Why Santa Claus is a popular figure during the Christmas holiday? Have you thought about these things before? If you have not, I was going to tell you anyway. Christmas trees became popular because uh, Christians believe that the evergreen tree symbolizes life. 
People also believe that Christmas trees symbolize the li- uh, the tree of life that was located in the Garden of Eden. Later on, people added candles on Christmas trees, which, if you think about it, wasn't smart because they could light their house on fire. Um, but ergo, people place today, people place uh, Christmas lights on trees because in the past people placed candles. In the 19th century, people started placing stars on the top of Christmas trees to symbolize the nativity scene of Christ. Many cultures regarded mistletoes as symbols of male fertility uh, because mistletoes have the appearance of male private parts. And trust me, I, I try to find the correct term to be as less vulgar as possible. Uh, the Celtics cults use mistletoe for religious ceremony. They would sacrifice two bulls and use the mistletoe as medicinal uh, infertility purposes and for anti-poisoning purposes as well. And they will also use mistletoes for magic. Around the 18th century, tradition dictated that a man was allowed to kiss any woman standing underneath a mistletoe. And that bad luck would uh, come upon any woman who refused to kiss. That goes your creepy uncle. The legendary figure Santa Claus was known as St. Nicholas, who was a Greek Christian bishop. St. Nicholas was famous for giving out gifts to poor people. He was a compassionate and generous guy. In particular, he saved three daughters of a poor family from uh, being forced into prostitution by paying their diaries so that they could, could marry men. And after doing their laundry, the girls hung their stocking caps by the fireplace to dry. That night, St. Nicholas tossed gold coins in each of the girls' stocking cap. The custom of hanging Christmas trees derived in, in part of that story. Now, St. Nicholas, who was actually a real person, is betrayed, portrayed as a white-bearded man with freckles, wearing a red coat, and carries a bag full of gifts for tree, uh, children, who is, has mystical and mysterious powers to jump down a chimney and jump right back up and ride on his 12 uh, deers of uh, whatever it is. You get it. This has been perpetuated through the use of music, books, TV, and other forms of advertising. 
In today's culture, Christians is ultimately about self-indulgence. Christmas is no longer about the celebration of Jesus' birth, which is God's perfect gift to the world. It is about the religion of selfism. The religion of selfism. People are thrilled to participate in Christmas, but they rather take Christ out of Christmas. Modern culture concentrate on self centeredness. That is, people generally glorify the flesh instead of glorify the Creator who created them. And I think it's very important to talk about Christmas now than later to dispel the delusion that surround unbelievers and believers in regards to Christmas. We need to proclaim the true meaning of Christmas, which is the birth of Christ Jesus, and put that Christ back into Christmas. It is far better to tell people the bare-naked truth of Christmas instead of perpetuating a lie. And Luke has given us the unadulterated facts concerning Christmas. Distractions like Christmas ornaments, Christmas trees, giving of gifts, Santa Claus, and other things alike was not a concern for Luke. And I understand these things was not around during Luke's lifetime. It would be impossible for him to have any knowledge of these things. But that is beside the point that Luke has made in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. As he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was concerned about accurately writing down the historical events that took place around the time of Jesus' birth. In chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel, if you recall, he introduced two parallel birth stories, and both stories represented one timeline. The first birth story is about John the Baptist. And the second birth story is about Jesus. Chapter 1 focuses mainly on John's birth story that preceded Jesus' birth. And I'm sure we ought to know now why John was born before Jesus. Jesus, I mean, John's birth demonstrated the fulfillment of Scripture, and he was the forerunner of the prophet, the Lord, forerunner of the Lord, the prophet of the Most High. And his mission was to make preparations for the Lord 
That is, he prepared the way of the Lord and made his path straight. Therefore, it was necessary for Luke to write about John's birth story first because the consummation of the Lord's arrival was dawning near as we have read in our morning passage. And we learn that John's birth and childhood, also his adulthood, is summarized in Luke chapter 1, verse 80. That means Luke is taking our attention off of John about this narrative, birth narrative, and he is writing solely about the birth narrative of Jesus. Previously, we learned and read about the pronouncement of Jesus' birth of which the angel Gabriel came to Mary telling her that she would conceive a child by the power of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2 of Luke's Gospel initiates that same story by giving us the background of Jesus' birth narrative. If you just glance at chapter 2 alone, the setting of the chapter follow is as follows. The story of Jesus' birth according to uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. The story of angels announcing the shepherds who was in the field herding sheep. And the angels pronounced to the shepherds that Jesus was uh, born in, in a manger according to chapter 2, verses 8 through 21. And then chapter 2, verses 22 through 40, Jesus was presented in the, uh, presented in the temple during the reconstruction of the temple for circumcision, uh, circumcision according to the law of Moses. So basically... In our passage, there's three things that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Caesar Augustus. We're going to talk about Joseph and Mary and Jesus as a baby in the manger. If you notice in verse 1... You also can tell that Luke carefully introduces the historical setting of Jesus' birth. At the time of Jesus' birth, Herod the Great, king of Judea, and Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome. The first time that we hear of, of Herod is in chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel. Herod was an Edomite and served as a governor of Judea, but held the title as king during the Roman occupation of Israel. Luke wants us to bear in mind the socio-political climate that Jesus was born into for example, 
my grandmother. She is 88 years old, and she has shared with me some of my of uh, her life experiences. Uh, she was born in the 1930s, and in her lifetime, she lived to see the inauguration of 15 presidents of the United States. World, she uh, witnessed World War II, segregation and desegregation of public schools. I'm sure many of you can share similar uh, socio and political experiences as well. You can share stories about what was going on in, your, in the time that you were born, what was the cultural, political, and social events during your birth and childhood. Again, this is Luke's intent concerning the cultural background and political climate surrounding Jesus' birth. And as we have read in verse 1, a decree was sent out by Caesar Augustus. Decrees were considered unchangeable laws that everyone had to obey. And the importance of the laws was similar to the Constitution of the United States. Whenever the emperor made a command, citizens of Rome followed the command without questioning it because decrees were foundational laws. And typically, laws are created for military and monetary reasons. But the decree of Caesar Augustus enforced a taxation upon the citizens of Rome. He wanted to know how many people he could tax. And the only way to tax people was to have them to volunteer to be registered. There were 12 Caesars and the total of Roman of the Roman era, and at least three of them is mentioned in the Bible. Now, for example, the Caesar in our text, Luke chapter 2, verse 1, is not the same person in Luke chapter 3, verse 1. This means Jesus lived during two ruling Caesars. When Jesus said, render to Caesars the things that are Caesars, he was referring to Tiberius Caesar, which is the person that Luke has mentioned in Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Caesar Augustus was a title that was given to uh, the person who ruled Rome. The word Caesar means emperor, while Augustus means highly esteemed. And Gaius Octavian is the person that is mentioned in our text this morning, according to verse 1. Gaius Octavian came from a rich family, 
His grandfather was a commander in the Roman Empire. His dad, his father, was a senator. His uncle, Julius Caesar, was the first Caesar of Rome uh, to rule Rome as emperor. And later on in life, as it was custom for Romans, uh, Romans to do, they adopted someone else's child. And this is what happened with Octavian Caesar. He was adopted by his uncle, Julius Caesar. After Julius Caesar was assassinated, Octavian was inaugurated as Caesar Augustus in the year of 44 B.C. until 14 A.D., which means he was in power while Jesus was a baby and teenager. Octavian was an intelligent man. He advanced engineering projects like uh, temples and roles, and those same roles was used to further the gospel by the apostles. And as even today, majority of these roles and temples still exist. He was one of the most prominent figures in Roman history. It has been said that Rome was built on rocks, but Octavian Caesar left Rome as a shiny marble. After he defeated a man named Mark Antony and Cleopatra of Egypt, which was a strategic victory for him, he unified the Roman Empire that which established Pots Romana. That is the, an era of peace and prosperity throughout the Greco-Roman world. Since peace and prosperity was being used, well, I mean, was being enjoyed by the Roman Empire, Rome built an altar to honor Octavian and naming the altar Peace of Augustus or the Altar of Peace. All of this is important to know since Luke gave us the historical background of Jesus' birth. So let us compare Octavian and Jesus. Octavian brought universal peace to the Roman world. In comparison, Jesus, who is the Son of God and who is called the Prince of Peace of the universe, was born into the world to give everlasting peace for all humanity. Jesus said it this himself, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives I do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 
And Mark, if you can connect me back there. All of this, whenever, um, if you think about the position of Caesar Augustus, whenever men and women is in a position of power, two things will occur. They will either humble themselves before God, or they will become a little God. This is true of people who are presidents, kings, and tribal leaders. Uh, For example, people in North Korea are indoctrinated to believe that the Kim Kim Jong-un family are God-like figures. This too was true of Octavian Augustus. Around the time Jesus was was one in age, during the uh, Rome declared that Octavian Augustus was to be worshipped as a god. They deified him. They worship him. Uh, John Calvin said, the human heart is a factory of idols. That is, the human heart is gravely depraved and desires to make idols out of anything. Humans were created to worship someone, and if their adoration is not properly in place or properly placed in the one who created them, they are bound to worship anything or anyone. Revelation chapter 9 verse 20 says, The rest of mankind did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk. I want you to know, as I have said repeatedly, idolatry is not only worship of false idols, but it is worshiping God in a false way. Again, Octavian Augustus was believed to be a god. However, Jesus was not only man, but he was 100% God. The Roman world believed Octavian Augustus was the savior of Rome. However, Jesus Christ was not only the sovereign ruler of the universe, but he was the savior of the Roman Empire and the entire world. The Romans built temples to honor Octavian Augustus. However, Jesus Christ built and purchased the church with his own blood that allowed Gentiles and Jews to become one in him. He said, we are fellow citizens. 
with the saints and members of the household of God, but on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. So Luke wanted us to understand that the true Savior and the giver of peace was not Octavia Augustus, but it was and still is Jesus. Mark, go to the next slide with Joseph and Mary. The Romans conquered uh, many territories. In fact, go to the um, map that is on the page. Uh, the Romans conquered many territories that extended from modern-day Rome to modern-day Turkey. Uh, this was considered as as the entire world. And as you can see uh, with this map behind me, you can see how far and why the Roman Empire extended to. Nevertheless, as we see in our text, Caesar Augustus decreed for the entire world to be registered. Verse 3 says, all went out, I mean, all went to be registered, each to his own town. So this is thousands and thousands of people going to a designated poll to register their family for this taxation. Although Mary was nine months pregnant at the time, the decree that Caesar Augustus issued caused Mary and Joseph to travel at least 80 to 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem in the winter season. Now, many of us won't even walk one mile in Ohio winter season, let alone 90 miles. This wasn't an easy family vacation for them. They did not, didn't have the convenience of purchasing a plane ticket. But obviously, there was a deadline for Joseph and Mary to register for the tax census. And only the Lord really knows why Mary and Joseph was so motivated to travel far from their home even though Mary could have given birth at any time. Now keep in mind that that registration was ordered for the Roman people to pay taxes. To pay taxes. I'm sure if uh, Pastor Gus was a citizen of the Roman Empire, I don't think he will enjoy paying higher taxes. I've heard a story that Pastor Gus will make a penny bleed. (laughs) 
Nobody wants to pay more money for someone else's greed. But ultimately, everyone pays taxes for someone else's sin. For example, our tax dollars are being used to federally fund abortions, the murder of innocent babies. But we are still required to pay our taxes on time to the IRS. The Jewish people hated the Romans and anyone who worked for them. They hated Caesar Augustus just as much they hated tax collectors. They viewed tax collectors as traitors of Israel. And any time that you read throughout the gospel, whenever it says a tax collector's, it was also saying, and sinners, tax collectors and sinners. So tax collectors was equivalent to sinners in the Pharisees' view. But Jesus died for them too. The apostle Matthew was a tax collector. And God used Matthew to write the first book of the New Testament. The truth of the matter is, Joseph and Mary were obedient and faithful people despite the fact that they had to obey the decree of Caesar Augustus, who was a worshiper of false idols and a person who hated God. If they can submit to an ungodly and unholy government that persecuted Christians for many years, how much more should we submit to our government that malign Christians? In fact, Scripture commands us to obey those who will rule over us. According to Romans, chapter 13, verse 1, Paul said, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God himself. Paul said further, therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed and to whom revenue is owed. Joseph and Mary's obedience is a stark contrast to those who willingly and lyingly 
falsify information on their tax returns. Please understand that God has instituted all governments by his foreordained permissive will. So God will hold anyone accountable for lying and cheating on their federal taxes and state taxes. I have heard of a guy, I'm not going to mention his name, but I have heard, uh, he, him and I were just talking and he said, well, um, I haven't filed on that taxes because I don't want them to find out. I said, well, what if they do find out? He said, well, I'm too much of a small guy that they're not going to look at me. As one of my mothers would tell me, that God desire obedience from us and not sacrifice. Joseph and Mary is not the only thing I want you to grasp from this text. But understand this too. It was ultimately by God's providence that set everything in motion. Yes, Caesar Augustus issued the decrees for everyone to be registered, but it was God, but God willed him to do it. Yes, Joseph and Mary decided to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, but God willed them to do just that. The actions of men are pawns in the hands of God. And God accomplished all of his plans by using the actions of Caesar Augustus. The scripture says from Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wills. Far far too many Christians become frazzled about the social and cultural and political environment of today. Whenever a person like or don't like an elected uh, candidate or an elected official, or an elected person as the president of the United States. Now, for example, people when I think I was really young when George W. Bush Sr. was in office and people didn't like him. When his son, George W. Bush Jr. was in office, people didn't like him. When Bill Clinton was in office, people didn't like him or like him depending on who you ask. When Obama was in office, people like or didn't like him. When Trump is in, now is in office, people like or dislike him. I, I truly believe that we have become short-sighted by politics. And we have lost sight of God's providence.
It doesn't matter. It matters in one sense that who you vote for. In another sense, keep in mind that who you're voting for is not going to change God's plan. Whoever you vote for, president, uh, king, or queen, or dictator, or, or, uh, or a person who is running for mayor, mayor, it's not going to stop God's, God from accomplishing his plan. God is, is God, and since he is God... He does whatever he pleases. Whatever is pleasing to him, he will do. God uses all things for the sake of his own glory. For example, God accomplished his plan to save Israel from enslavement out of the hands of the Egyptians by which he displayed his own glory by sending ten plagues. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he can display his glory. God said to Pharaoh, For this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power. That is interesting. Because prior to that, 400 years before that, God told Abraham that the Jews were going to be enslaved. That means God knew beforehand what was going to happen before it happened, and yet God raised up Pharaoh so that his glory may uh, take place. By God's divine providence, he used the hearts of Jewish religious leaders and Pontius Pilate. He used Pontius Pilate's heart to crucify Jesus on the cross and to put Jesus to death. This is why Peter said what he said. He said, your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed before Herod and Pontius Pilate, among the Gentiles and peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That means every single person that participated in crucifying and putting to death Jesus was there by their own will, But more importantly, they were there by God's will. It was predestined. And it was by God's divine providence for Caesar Augustus to issue a decree so that Joseph and Mary would travel to Bethlehem so that Jesus can be born in Bethlehem. One 
writer says, Providence orders all things for the fulfilling of the scripture and make use of the projects of men, uh, projects men have for serving their own purposes, quite beyond their intention to serve God's will. Pastor John MacArthur said this, God directed the mind of the most powerful man on earth, Caesar Augustus, to accomplish his purposes. Therefore, Caesar's decree was intended for financial gain, but unbeknownst to him, God used Caesar's intentions to make sure that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Look at verse 4. It says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. God the Father has has sworn uh, to David that the Messiah will come from his lineage and establish David's throne. So every Jewish person knew that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. Every Jewish person knew this passage from Micah that speaks of Christ Jesus being born uh, born in Bethlehem. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be ruled among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, who one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. From ancient of days. And Bethlehem means this. It means the house of bread. And I think this is so fitting uh, because Jesus said that he is the bread of life. Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. As we can see, Joseph and Mary finally made it to Bethlehem because it was not just the decree of Caesar Augustus because it was God's decree for them to be there. And it was time for her to give birth. The predictions of Jesus' birth was foretold in Scripture. That a virgin was to give birth. Earlier we uh, read together the passages, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 through 7, and uh, parallel to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 that they both speak about Jesus being born. Unto us a child is born. So 
when you think about Old Testament scripture, when God said to the woman that you will give birth to a seed and the seed will crush the head of the serpent, or or as it says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Those are predicted passages about Christ Jesus. That means God was going to make sure that his son was to be born in Bethlehem by a virgin. That's a footnote. The baby means, uh, the Hebrew name Emmanuel means God is with us. And very quickly, I want you to turn your attention to um, Matthew chapter 2. Turn there. Because earlier I mentioned Herod the Great, but Luke and Luke, uh, Matthew's Gospel, he gives us a different account of why of when Jesus was born. Uh, Matthew and tells us in Matthew chapter two verse thirteen that. that the angel of the Lord said to uh, Joseph and Mary, or Joseph in a dream, and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And the following verses, jump down to uh, verse 16. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, he says, Then Herod... When he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. One reason I want you to, to be mindful of this, because back in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter one, I mean chapter two, verse one through seven, Jesus was already born. So this fits just before Herod tried to murder Jesus. Herod was reign Herod reigned as king was coming to an end. He was easily threatened by anyone who he thought could challenge his throne. In fact, as we have just read, when Jesus was born, Herod tried to murder him. He was unsuccessful in his attempt of murdering Jesus. However, he slaughtered thousands of babies in Bethlehem who were two years old and younger. Now, this illustrates to us that the nature of man hasn't changed. Every intention of the thoughts of people's heart is evil continually. 
according to Scripture. Herod tried to murder Jesus when he was a baby. I mentioned this before. How paranoid can you be of a baby who was born in Bethlehem and laying in a manger? That's a footnote. The only difference between his method of murdering thousands of innocent babies is that those babies were outside of the womb. Compared to Planned Parenthood, who murdered millions of babies inside the womb. But this didn't throt, it didn't stop, it didn't slow down God's plan to send his son to be born. It doesn't matter what anyone could have done. The Lord was going to foresee that his plans was to be accomplished. And we see that back in our text in Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. And as it says in verse 6 and 7 of Luke chapter 2, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. This is the second person of the Trinity stepping down from his throne, entering into time and space, which was according to the plan of the Godhead. And scripture says he was in the form of, of God, but did not count equality with God something to be grasped. And it's so interesting for this simple reason. God, the Son, became flesh. God the Son became flesh. It says in John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But when he became flesh, he had the weaknesses of men. He was weak and feeble. He was dependent upon his mother to nurse him and to and to breastfeed him to change his diapers this is god in the flesh an innocent baby the god man he was born I'm sure, as you know already, Christians do not know the exact date of Jesus' birth. Now, December 25th is 
based on tradition. And we celebrate Jesus' birth on December 25th, uh, which was passed down by the Roman church. And according to this tradition, um, according to the legend or history of it, the Roman church wanted to give Christians an alternative uh, to a popular pagan holiday known as the birthday of the unconquered sun, S-U-N, which there, um, which throughout century to honor the sun gods. The church believed the pagan uh, sun festival was a threat to the church, so they thought in their infinite wisdom to inaugurate and place Jesus to say that this is December the 25th is Jesus' birthday. And so you have it. You celebrate Christ's birthday on December the 25th. And a Jehovah Witness asked me why Christians celebrate Jesus' birthday on December 25th, knowing that that wasn't his birthday. One thing the person that person failed to realize is that it is okay to celebrate someone's life. You have a friend who doesn't have a birth certificate, doesn't know when she was actually born, but yet we still celebrate her life. There are countless uh, people who don't have any documentations or don't know there is that age. But it is perfectly fine to assign a day to celebrate their life. And because that day of Jesus' birth was not a concern for Luke. If God, the Holy Spirit, wanted Luke to write down Jesus' birthday, guess what? His birthday would have said, in the month of such and such, Jesus was born. Nor the exact birthday of Jesus' birth is not the point of the text. The point of the text is that we celebrate and adore his life. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Christmas is, is not about Christ. It's about the religion of selfism. Is about self. And I remember um, when I was a very young kid, my mom purchased the first classic Nintendo gaming system that was made. And that was the best version ever. And we were so thrilled, me and my brother, so happy, excited that we got a gaming system. And I vividly remember my mama is plum tired from the night before of wrapping gifts and sitting on the couch with a large smile on her face just to see the thrill and excitement in our hearts and minds and, and, and expressions. 
so wonderful member uh, memory. I'm sure you have had those as well. Well, beloved, that is not the point. That is not Christmas. It would have been far better if my mom would have set me down and say, let's worship Christ. Let's adore his life. Because those little trinkets, those little presents, was only little idols in my heart. That is the point of Christmas. That is what Christmas is about. Worshiping Christ Jesus and nothing else. No decorations, no Christmas lights, no presents, no giving of gifts, but joining together and worshiping Christ, adoring who he is. you probably think you just rain on my parade. <laughs> oh, good. Good. I'm glad your parade has been rained on. Because this is what Hebrews chapter 1 verse uh, 6 says. And again, speaking of Christ, and again, when he brings the Firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So when Christ was born, the heavens bowed down to him. This is self-evident within Luke chapter 2. As I mentioned before, the angels went to the shepherds and say, behold, a child was born in a manger. He is the Savior. Paraphrasing. So, Christmas is about worshiping Christ Jesus and nothing else. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Now, Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for sending your son into this world to be born in a manger, to be dependent upon his mother, Mary. It just shows the humility of who he is. It shows that he forsake his equality within the Godhead to stoop so low and the mercury and muddy and sinful world so that he can dwell among sinners. And I pray that you will redirect our intentions and, and motives 
the true meaning of what Christmas is. That we will worship and adore Jesus Christ. That we will long to love him. And be examples of who he is. And as an example, Lord, I pray over the offering. I pray that you would use this to further the message of Christ. I pray that you would use this building to further your kingdom. I pray that you would use us just as much as you use Caesar Augustus for your plans. Do as you will, Lord, in our lives and the lives of others as well. Pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.